morning. All right, let's try that again. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. How are you guys doing this morning? Right? How many are excited to be here? If you can pass my water, please. The one on the top there. My bad. Sorry, guys. I forgot to grab it. I'm excited to be here, and I, you guys know how much I love Sundays to get to come. It's like something that it feels like you get to come and just pour out yourself, right, on a Sunday morning, and the idea is to leave here a little bit lighter than the way that you walked in, and I don't know about you, but worship was great, right? Do you feel a little bit lighter already? Yeah. All right, let's show the worship team some love. Jessica. <laughs> Jessica has to take breaks, you know, now she's pregnant, water all that stuff. But it's exciting to be here. And today's conversation is one of those conversations that we want to not talk about and act like it doesn't happen, but it is so real. And I would say that it's so real and so natural, kind of like the air that we breathe. It just kind of comes out. And um, I was sharing how, for those who don't know, I have three children and they consume my life. But yesterday I decided I was gonna go to BJ's with all three. And it was, uh, right, that, you, you, okay, this is my thing. That's everybody's response. Well, who's supposed to go to BJ's with them? I'm their mom, like that's it. I, this, is, this is the lot that I've gotten, Lord. I've gotta go to BJ's with all three. So I go to BJ's and you know, we go through the whole thing of the car and who's in it, whatever, whatever. And we're walking around BJ's. I'm trying to keep it together. At first, it was doing good. Like, one was in the front. Two were in the front. One was in the other car. It was good. But then they started getting uncomfortable. I want to get out. That whole thing. Some guy's walking past me, and he's looking at me. He's like, wow, you're brave. I'm like, you know, I'm here. Well, all three. He's like, wow, you're doing this. And we, we kind of managed to get around. I mean, there was a couple of situations along the way. But we kind of managed to get to the, to get to the finish line, to the cashier with like minimal altercations. And I'm there and I'm doing self-checkout because ever since they created self-checkout, why would I ever go to a cashier? Like, it's just fun for me. Put it on the thing. So I'm there and I'm trying to figure this out. I'm having them help me, you know, keep them busy, which is not helping because they're putting things at the wrong time and the machine is screaming at me. Get the thing off the thing. If you didn't pay, I'm like, Shh, wait, Micah, Shiloh. The thing is that Micah sits down and after like I'm here entertained, I hear a scream, but a scream you would think somebody was dying. I turn and Mason's screaming, ah, like at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, you know that, why? Like, we're, like I'm almost, we're almost made it. We were this close, right? We were this close. So he's screaming and I turn to him. I look and everybody in the store is like, you know, you got that, that, you got that extra lady, the extra lady that is like breaking her neck to see. What's, you know, and I'm just like, you know. I'm like, shh, what are you doing? Shut up, I grab one, I'm going to pinch you, I'm going to go outside, you know, do the whole thing. Meanwhile, the thing is telling me, are you ready to pay? Are you ready to pay? Hold on a minute, my coupons, where's my stuff? It was a disaster. And I was just so embarrassed, you know, and I don't get easily embarrassed because as a child growing up, I was clumsy and I had to get over it really quick. But, you know, there's something about them kids acting a fool in a place where other people are that makes you embarrassed. And it makes you think, Aside from the fact that you feel a certain kind of way that your kids are acting bad, what is one of those reasons that you feel so embarrassed, right? When you look and you see people looking at you. And it's really 
at the depths of it because of comparison, right? Because you're looking at your kid acting crazy when everybody else is quiet because they understand that we're at a store. This is how I'm talking to them. We're at a store. Like, and this is after I give them a speech. I give them a speech when we get in the car. I give them a speech as we're walking. I give them a speech. Hold on, we're gonna get, I'm gonna open the door. But remember, I, I give them a speech. Though, how do you not remember the speech? I already gave it to you five times before you walked in here. But there's something that makes us compare, and it's because comparison is something that comes so easy and so natural to us. We don't even notice when we're doing it most of the time. It kind of just comes just as naturally as breathing. But the truth is that comparison is ugly, <laughs> and it's not nice. And we know that. Like, if, you were to, if someone was to ask you, you'd know that comparison is not good, but yet we fall into that trap of comparison. We, we get on this train that once we get on, it's so hard to come off of because the train just keeps rolling. And even though we start with comparison young, little kids, as in the moment that they can speak, they compare themselves to other kids, right? They compare themselves to the cartoons that they see on TV or to whatever they see. It just happens where they're like, oh, but how come, and this and this and this. And you guys, for those who know my middle child, Micah, he's special, and he's the one that notices everything, like literally everything. If I passed you a paper, he saw the passing of the paper. And he wants to know, how come you got a paper and he didn't get a paper? What's the paper, Micah? I don't know, but how come I didn't get one? <laughs> like, it's a serious thing with him that we, we have to work with the Lord. But it's something that comes so naturally. At a young age, you know if you're smarter than somebody else or if someone is smarter than you, right? You know who's the smart kid in the class and you know who are the bad kids in the class. Unless you were the bad kid, then you know it was you and you acted out anyway, right? Because it's natural. It's natural for you to look at someone and determine where you are based on where that person is. It's natural for you to think about yourself depending on how that person is doing. And I know you might be looking at me like, oh no, but come on, let's be real. If you're a woman, you know how good you look depending on who walked through the door. Now, if I look like this, but someone came in with a banging outfit, now I feel like, dang, I should have worn some heels today. You know, it's natural. We don't even do hard, you know, we're not trying to do it, but it just comes out. If you're a guy, you know, men, I'm not a guy. Men don't talk at home, but they gotta talk in public with people, right? Don't look at me like that. Y'all have conversations because y'all want to feel respected. And you know, I'm a man, that whole thing. Wherever it is, you're a man, you're a woman, you're a kid, you're a grown-up, we deal with comparison. And comparing is such an ugly thing. It is something that it's more than just words. It's something that hides in our hearts. And it's something that gets seeds in our heart. And it grows. It grows so much so that we lack in our lives and we're struggling in our lives and we can't even do the things that we have to do because we're so caught up on what everybody else is doing or what somebody else is not doing. So easy to get on the comparison train and so hard to get off. And we confess, we, we compare everything. We compare houses, we compare gifts, we compare abilities, we compare marriages, we compare boyfriends, we compare girlfriends, we compare those kids, we compare the car, we compare the job, we compare the degree, I compare the shoes. All right, you guys get it. We compare just about everything. And the reason why we're so stuck in comparison is because we're, we live in a world that some people like to call the land of Ur. And it's a land where everyone, where there is someone that is 
better than you, has better grades, is richer, skinnier, taller, smarter, happier, prettier, married-er. We're looking at people that have more than us. We're looking at people who are doing it better than us. And we get stuck on that comparison. And once we're stuck on that train, it's so hard to get off. You know, and I have like a, a confession. You know, Shiloh, when he was like two or three, he, no, he was three. He was playing flag football with other two and three-year-olds. It was nothing, but it was fun. And I have the confession that there was one day, maybe more than one day, but we're going to say one day for the purposes of Jesus, that I was secretly hoping that the other kid and his team wouldn't score so that he could score. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, come on. I like you don't do that too. Because it's something in us that it's not just, oh, that person has more, but guess what? I also got to have more than them. So we notice the person that's smarter and that's richer, that's skinnier, but we also notice the person that's fatter and uglier and poorer. And we then start to think that we are superior to the person who is less than us. So it doesn't matter which way you go, if you're looking up or if you're looking down, there is no win in comparison. And I want you to say that with me because I want you to remember this. I want you to write it. I want you to take a picture or just repeat it over and over again. There is no win in comparison. Let's say that together. There is no win in comparison. It doesn't matter what you do. It really doesn't matter how hard you try. No matter what, there is no win in comparison. And we look at people and we try to compare and some of us have debt because we stood too long looking at somebody else and felt like we had to do this and this and this to have the house that they have, to have the clothes that they have, to keep up, like they say, with the Joneses of what they're doing. Some of us are dating ourselves to death because we want so bad to be married because if somebody asked me to be a bridesmaid one more time in a wedding, so much so that we lower our standards just to have somebody because we don't want to be alone. See, and so many things that judge the way that we live our lives because we compare, because we're looking to the left, because we're looking to the right, because we're looking everywhere else and at everyone else, and instead of looking to the one that we need to look to. But the truth is that there is no win in comparison. In most cases, when we're stuck in comparison, in comparison we're driving somebody crazy. You're either driving your kids crazy if you have kids, or that boyfriend, or, or that husband, or that wife, or that girlfriend, or those friends, or those parents. Somebody's being drove crazy because you are trying to live up to something. And isn't it so stressful and tiring when you're trying to work so hard to be something that you are not? Right? When you're going, like they say, against the grain to force something that isn't natural. It consumes us. But this comparison trap, it gets us and it doesn't want to let us go just because we feel like getting off. Because once you're on it, how do you get off, right? Once I got that car, how do I show up now in a beat up car? Because I was in a BMW yesterday, how am I going to show up today in a bike? Right? So now I got to work hard to keep that BMW even if I can't or I got to lie, now it's to the shop. 
and let me rent a car when I'm going so it could look, you get what I'm saying? Like once you're on it, it's very hard to come off because how do you come down from that? And we're trying so hard and if it was just about the cars, that would be great, right? If it was just about material things, but we compare our gifts, we compare our worship, we compare our calling, we compare who God is, we compare people's relationships with God and our relationship with God based on somebody else's relationship with God. Like if God had a type, God doesn't have a type. He created the entire world. Whatever you offer that is your best is the best. Whatever you give that is your best is the best. And it doesn't mean that we're just going to lay back and do nothing. What it means is be who you are. Live up to who you are called to be. Some of us are driving our kids crazy and we're driving ourselves crazy. Financially, professionally, emotionally. Because we've got this picture of what we should be based on where someone else is. We've got this idea of what we have to do based on what somebody else does. We have a picture. We're driving our husbands crazy because you're not doing this and this that I see on Instagram that this husband is doing for such and such and you're not doing this so you don't love me enough because he really loves her. We have no idea because we're looking to the left, we're looking to the right and not looking where we need to look. And Solomon, Solomon is, um, the Bible says the wisest man to ever live. So if you want some wisdom, read Proverbs, read Ecclesiastes, because get your life. You need it. So we're going to read in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting with verse 4. You can find it. You can see it up here. And in verse 4, Solomon says, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless a chasing after the wind. He's saying here, all that work that you do, all that achievement, all that striving, it comes from envy because you want to live up and match up to somebody else. And when you do that, all that toil, all that work, all that stress, it's just like a chasing after the wind. How many of you have ever caught wind? How many of you have ever been able to contain all the wind? It's endless. Even if you grab a little bit of wind, guess what? There's more wind around it. You're never going to get there. You're never going to be able to do it. So what he's saying in this verse, in other words, he's saying, I saw people determining where they were based on where everyone else was. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm seeing people that are working so hard to get there because they're basing where they are, that it's a failure based on somebody else's success. We're trying hard because we're looking at ourselves through the lens of somebody else instead of looking at ourselves. And we're constantly tempted to look to the left or to the right. But the truth is that just like chasing the wind, there's no finish line. Because when you did all the striving to get there, guess what? There's going to be someone else who is smarter than you. There's going to be someone else that is richer than you. There's going to be someone else that is happier than you. There's always going to be someone else that is more-er than you. So it doesn't matter what you do. Whatever your struggle is, you put the er on it. Even if it doesn't make sense, put the er on it for me, please. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter when you accomplish this, guess what? There's always going to be something more because it's a train that keeps going and it is very hard to get off. The moment that you decided to say yes to the comparison trap, it is very hard to get out of it. 
and we struggle and we strive to be this thing that I see somebody else be. And I'm so unhappy because I'm not where everybody else is. And Solomon isn't saying, hey, I want you to be apathetic and have no goals. But what he's saying is that when you allow someone else's place or someone else's lifestyle guide you, then you're in a trap. When the decision that you're making is based on where someone else is, you are chasing after the wind. And it's like a hamster wheel. It never stops. In verse 5, he says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So he's not saying, hey, don't have goals. He's not saying not to have goals. He's not saying to try and do other things or not to be ambitious. But what he's saying is, what you should be doing is maximizing your potential. So the question is, where is potential? Where does potential come from? Where does potential come from? Can somebody else determine your potential? Does your potential depend on what your neighbor has? Potential is inside of you. So what you need, God already gave you. The problem is that we're worried so much and we're trying so hard to be somebody else that we're not even focusing on the thing that is in us that God wants to grow. You don't know if your marriage has a special place in, in this world to do something, but you're working so hard for your marriage to look like somebody else's marriage that you're not even enjoying what God has already given you. I'm looking at him and I look at the flowers he gives me and you don't give me flowers, that means my marriage is bad because you have more flowers than me. And you can look at me how you want, maybe that's not your story, but we do it to some degree in almost everything in our lives. We either feel like ours is better or we feel like ours is worse. And we do so many things that it's just a chasing after the wind. It doesn't matter how much you do, it doesn't matter how much effort you put, you're not gonna be able to ever get there because there's no finish line. So then what do we do? He says, okay, this is tall, this is envy. Don't just fold your hands, so what do we do? Let's look at verse six together. It says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What he's saying is it's better to have tranquility in one hand than working so hard to get both hands full of things that you can't hold on to anyway, <laughs> on things that eventually won't matter, on things that are gonna stress you out, that are gonna cause sickness, that are gonna ruin relationships, that are gonna bring separation, that's gonna ruin your relationship with God, that's gonna estrange you from God. You're working so hard, but I got to, because how will it look if I don't have it? What will people think if my kids don't behave good? What will people think if my kids are running around in church? I'm the pastor, I gotta have a better grip on this. Because we're looking always at where we are compared to where someone else is. We're looking at what other people are doing. He says one handful of tranquility is better than two with toil and chasing after the wind. And one hand with tranquility. Tranquility means satisfaction, contentment, and peace. It's better to be satisfied where you are. It's better to be content with what God has given you because that would lead you to peace. So it's better to have one hand that is full of satisfaction, that is full of contentment, that is full of peace than to have two hands full, clenched together because I'm trying so hard to hold on to something that isn't really mine. Something that I can't control. 
It's so much better to have a hand. And what, it, what a hand means, what it signifies is an open hand. And I want you all to take out your hand like this and I want you to open it up. And what an open hand means is the opportunity for God to put and the opportunity for God to take away. An open hand means I don't have it figured out. But I also can't look to my left or to my right to figure it out. So I want you to put and I want you to take away. I want you to decide what's for me and I want you to decide what is not for me. And instead of measuring myself with where someone else is, let me look to you. Because it's better to have one hand open that is just full of satisfaction and contentment and peace that has tranquility than to have two clenched fists full of striving, full of stress, full of trying too hard, full of chasing after the wind. But our problem is that we look around, right? We're always looking somewhere or at someone to determine if we're okay. So where do you look to determine that? Do you look at your neighbors? Do you look maybe at your neighborhood? Do you look at your coworkers? You know, we, 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 we have children or we have these plans of where we're gonna be in five, 10 years because this is what I saw and this is what, I, and you know, my kid has to do this. And you know, my kid has to be the smartest and he has to be the best. So he has to be in 15 activities because if not, he's going to be marginalized. And if not, he's not gonna be able to reach his full potential. Who said? God is the one that gives and he's the one that takes away. The moment that we decide to determine where we are based on what other people are is the moment that we get on a train that we cannot get off of. We gotta live with an open hand before the Lord. And we all struggle with comparison. For men, maybe you're comparing bank accounts. Maybe you're comparing how respectable you are. For women, how we look, how good our kids behave, how clean our house is, how much our husband loves us. Did he put me on, on, am I on his Instagram or not? Do you have a picture of me, babe? Because if you don't have a picture of me, you don't love me. Where are we looking for affirmation? I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them where you're looking for affirmation. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Don't put yourself out there like that. We're gonna leave this between you and the Lord. I don't want you to lose respect today. Who do we look around to about to see, determine where we should be? And we do it, like I said, it comes so naturally. We don't even go hard on it, we don't even try so hard, but so naturally we get on this thing where we're looking to the left and we're looking to the right. And it's because we all hear this same whisper, a whisper that tells us you need more of what they have so that you can be respectable, acceptable, and lovable. You need to look more like that so that you can be lovable, so that you can be acceptable, so that you can be respectable. There's always something that's telling us that we're, where we are is not good enough because such and such is over here. And it's a struggle. Why? Because we are unable to walk in the fullness of what God has for us until we are able to accept who we are in him. And there's no way that we can accept who we are in him because we don't know. We don't know because we're trying so hard to be somebody else. I can try all I want to be a quiet, calm person, and that is not who I am. I will try and I will be striving, and guess what? Eventually, the button will break, and that's it, I gotta get out. 
right? Because when you're trying so hard to go against who you are, it is hard. You know, this morning I didn't share it with my people. I should have, because they're the number one culprits. But for us um, Afro people, if you are Afro, anything behind it, Afro-American, Afro-Latina, whatever it is, our natural hair does not straighten. But you grow up with the feeling that if your hair is not straight, that means it's not good. And we grow up getting something in our hair that makes our hair be straight, go against what it naturally does because that looks better. And it is so hard to change your mind to look at it differently. Right? And we strive and we strive. And this is a perfect example for men. Sorry, Will, you should know. You had hair once. The kids, the kids are always like, Papi, did you ever have hair? Like, what was it like? like they want to know. And I think Micah even prayed one day, God, can you give Papi hair? Because I want to see what it's like. So Will wasn't always bald, guys, in case you were wondering. He had hair once, so he knows what it's like to comb his hair. But it goes against the nature. And I remember that when I finally decided I'm going to go natural, it was because one day I got so upset. I spent the morning at the salon, I walked outside, and I got sweaty, and my hair got poofy. And I said, I'm trying so hard to make my hair go against who it is and what it is. I'm wasting money, I'm wasting my time, and I'm getting angry and frustrated because it's not staying the way that I want it to stay. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to let my hair be what it wants to be. And I know that that's small and that's minimal. And hey, if you prefer your perm and you prefer your straight hair, power to you. This is not about that. But it's a prime example on something so small how we do it with something so big. We try so hard to go against who we are. God has gifted each of us uniquely. Some of us are sitting on our gifts. Some of us are hiding our gifts because we're comparing that gift to someone else. We say it all the time. Can you imagine what it would be like if every single person in this room was walking out in their gift? The people would know that there is really a God. If it was more than you depending on the person who delivers a message on Sunday, but if you delivered your own message Monday through Saturday, how many people would we be able to take to the feet of Christ? But we're so stuck in comparing when someone says, hey, what you want to do? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I could do it like that. I don't think so. We do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. We're comparing ourselves. We're matching ourselves up to somebody else. And we're unable to walk in what God really has for us. So we look to the left. We look to the right. We look everywhere instead of looking up. And Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. So although this is a real thing in our lives, isn't it great to know that Jesus offers us another way? Isn't it great to know that Jesus has an answer? He has a way for us to get off of the train. And it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. I want you to highlight law if you have it, the Bible with you. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In this scripture, what we can see in the context is that here when it says the law for the Jewish people, for the Jewish leaders, the law was kind of like a mirror that allowed them to see how bad they were in comparison to the law. 
the law was something that was a constant reminder of how bad they were and something that they could not attain, something that they could not live up to, something they could not match up because the law is over there, great and perfect, and I'm over here and I can't reach that. So it was a constant reminder. So when Paul is saying, hey, God came to redeem you from the law, not because he doesn't want you to do what's right, but because he doesn't want you to judge, not even yourself, based on that law. But he came to redeem. And redeem means to buy through means of an exchange. He came to make an exchange. To say, I'm going to get you, I'm going to adopt you as my child in exchange for my blood on the cross. In exchange for my very life. And do you know what it is that determines the value of something? What determines the value of something is the price that it will bring. The value that you have on your life was paid by a price of Jesus' life. That's how valuable you are to him. That's how important you are to him. And we don't see it, right, because we're trying so hard. We're trying so hard to be this and to reach this and to attain this. When God is saying, I paid it off for you. You don't need to look around. What you need to do is look up. Some of us got to stop looking to the left. Some of us got to stop looking to the right, and we need to look up. You got to look up, and you got to see what God says about you and who God says that you are. Because what he says is irrefutable. The world is always going to have you chasing after the wind, always chasing for the latest thing that one day will no longer be latest, but we will be old. And there will be a new latest thing. There will be a new thing. And this seems like such a uh, kind of message, but the truth is that as I look at my life, I look at decisions, I look at where I am, and I think, man, how many of those things were based on comparison? I could be here, but I didn't, or I did this instead and made a detour because of comparison. I've been married for 11 years. Have I enjoyed 11 years? I don't know because I've been so busy worrying about what it wasn't instead of what it was. My kids are grown, have I enjoyed them? I don't know, I was so busy worrying about what they couldn't do right instead of what they did do right. Time flies and you know, to, um, what they say, retrospect, in retrospect is 2020, what is it, the, what is it, how's the, how you say it? Yes, retrospective vision is 2020. What that means is when you look back, it always looks clear. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that was the decision I made. Oh yeah, that was dumb, <laughs> right? But in the moment, we don't see it. We get so caught up on comparison. And in this society, we live in a society that is making us compare. We don't even try. Just open Instagram. And it doesn't matter what some of us do. You know, we're trying hard to be this thing, to be something that we're not. We're trying hard to look to the left, to look to the right. And it doesn't matter what you do, you'll never be able to attain it. It doesn't matter how much I work out. I will never look like J-Lo. Because God did not make my thighs like J-Lo. And I don't got skinny legs like J-Lo. So I can put all my energy at 5 in the morning and at 8 o'clock at night to go to the gym and I will not be J-Lo. But instead I can be happy with who I am. I can maximize my potential. If my potential is going to be a size 8, then so be it, Jesus. 
If I'm not a zero, zero go with the Lord. I got to be happy and content with who God made me. And it doesn't mean I'm just going to sit back and do nothing because that's not from God either. What it means is know who you are. Stop looking everyone else. Some of us don't even know who we are. We don't know what we really want. We don't know what our goals are for our marriage. We don't have goals for our children. And worse yet, we do not have goals for our relationship with God because I'm basing my relationship with God on someone else. My worship depends on someone else. My worship depends on if my friends, if my friends worship hard, then I'm worshiping hard today. If my friends go there, then I'm going to go there. And we're afraid to be who God has called us to be. God has a plan for you. He wants to do something great for you. But it's going to require you to get away from the crowd. To get away from the crowd. To say no to some things. To say no to some people. To say no to some thoughts. To shut down Instagram sometimes. To close Facebook. To stop hanging out with those friends that go on vacation so much because now you feel in a certain kind of way that you're always on vacation and I can't ever go on no vacation. Don't call me for three months. <laughs> Don't tell me about your next vacation. Whatever it takes, but if not, we get stuck on this train and it's not about hating on them. It's about realizing, hey, if you're in a season where you can go on vacation, praise the Lord for you. But for my sake, I got to stay away from you for a little bit because I need to get right with the Lord. I need the Lord to work on my heart because I'm feeling a certain kind of way about you. Don't, don't post some pictures of Paris, por favor. Okay, don't tell me about your trip in the, in the tour in the Eiffel Tower. Keep that to yourself, ma'am. This is not a real story, but if it was, I probably would say something like that. The point is that we each have to know ourselves and we got to know who God has called us to be. We got to stop looking around and we need to look up. In this verse, he says, in the, at the end of verse 5, he says, in Galatians. Galatians. Oh, yeah, there you go. Sorry. He said, to redeem those who are under the law, and this, this sentence right here, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And we all know what adoption is, right? Adoption is to take a child that you didn't birth naturally and make him your own, right? But adoption in this context is not the same way that we know adoption to be today. In this context, the Roman culture adopted people as adults, not as children. Because Roman culture was all about appearance. And I needed to know if you were a good seed or a bad seed before I could decide if I wanted to adopt you. I needed to know if you were smart and I wanted my name on your name because you're smart or not before I decided if I wanted to adopt you. So much so that um, Caesar Augustus was the, the king, the emperor, whatever they're called. And he didn't like any of his children that were supposed to, get the, that were supposed to be next in line. He thought they were not good enough. So he adopted another guy that was a grown-up, made him his son so that he can be the next king. But how great is it that when Paul says this to the Galatians, he's saying, hey, it's not how you know adoption to be. God's not waiting for you to be a grown-up to decide whether you're good enough for him. But he takes you knowing the failures, knowing the mistakes, knowing the bad, knowing the ugly and the good. He chose you as his son, as his daughter from the beginning. Before you were created, he died 
because he died many years ago for that everyone that comes after could be his child. So he's not looking at us in comparison to someone else. God's not deciding whether he wants to use you based on where someone else is. He wants to know where you are. He wants you to know where you are. And God speaks over you. You are fine because you're mine. So it's time for us to stop looking around and look up. To escape the trap or to get off the train by looking up at the one who called us, who made us, and who redeemed us and called us his children. Because you won't have peace until you accept God's estimation on you based on the price that he paid for you. There's peace nowhere else. You know, every day I tell my kids a secret, and they know the secret already. You know, those things you say to your kids over and over again, like our parents did to us, and you're like, okay, mom. And they already know. So every time I say, I have a secret for you, they're like, mommy, I know what you're gonna say. I'm gonna say it anyway. I love you. I know that you love me, mommy. You always say that, I'm like, yes, but I need you to know that. Because even when things go wrong, I want you to know that I love you. And then I turn and I say, but you know who loves you more? Micah, of course, the outspoken one. Guilty. God, mommy, God, we all know that. God loves everybody more than everything. Okay, Micah. God, God loves you more than anything else. And I said that same thing to you today. Do you know who loves you more than anything else? God. God loves you more than whatever you can offer, than whatever you have, whatever you've done. He loves you through the mistakes. He loves you through the failures. He loves you through the hiccups. He loves you because he calls you his. You're fine because you're mine. So instead of us striving and chasing after win, instead of us trying to capture something that we can never attain, instead of us having two fistfuls full of stress and worry and striving and trying hard and getting sick and going against the grain and working so hard to be someone that we are not, to make our kids be someone that they are not, to make our marriage try to be something that it is not, it is better to live with one hand open that says, God, you can give and you can take away. It's better to live with one hand open that says, God, I am satisfied with what you have made me. I am content in what I have. And I am going to find peace in what you have given me. I'm not going to worry about what my neighbor has because what my neighbor has is for them. I'm going to worry about what's in my house. I'm going to worry about what's here. So maybe for you, it's hard to understand the love of God because maybe you feel like you've never received that love growing up. Or maybe you did. But God's love is here for you. For you, maybe you have to say, I'm sorry, God, because I've been comparing. And I haven't been able to even rejoice. Do you think that God gave you children so that you can be upset every day? Do you think that God gave you a wife or a husband so that you can be always struggling no he wants us to enjoy the things that he has given us but we can't enjoy it when we're so busy looking to the left and to the right it's time for us to look up and look at what God has done yeah things are not going to always go great it's not always going to be fun it's not always going to be good but guess what God is still good and even in the thing that he has done even in the thing that he has allowed he is good but you know when we feel like he's not good when we look at somebody else right? When we say, man, how could there be people dying when there are people living in richness? When we compare, that's when there's a problem. 
How come this is happening in my life when such and such did this and that didn't happen? When we compare, that's when there's a problem. So it's time for us to let go of comparison. It's time for us to walk into what God has already said over us. It's time for us to, uh, for us to look up instead of looking to the side. And that's going to require us replacing our thoughts, right? Replacing those thoughts that come up, those triggers. It's going to take us replacing them with the truth of God until that lie quiets down and until that truth becomes real for you. And my desire is really just for all of us to understand the fullness of God's love for us. My desire is that we are able to understand who God made us to be, what God called us to do, and that we're able to say yes, because I'm not worrying about what anybody else is doing. I'm not even worrying about if I'm doing it right, because only you know where my heart is. And how much greater would it be if I can see families that are enjoying one another, if I can see marriages that are no longer carrying the weight of what someone else's marriage is, that are no longer carrying the weight of what society says it should be but instead are saying, God, I'm gonna be whoever you called me to be. And whatever that is, in a lot, in plenty, or in lack, I'm gonna give you glory because I'm gonna find my satisfaction and my contentment in you. So I want you to be on your feet as we read Ecclesiastes 4, verse four through six one more time, but this time we're gonna read it in the New Century Version. And it says, I realize the reason people work hard and try to succeed. They are jealous of each other. This too is useless, like chasing the wind. Some say it is foolish to fold your hands and do nothing because you will starve to death. Maybe so, but I say it is better to be content with what little you have. Otherwise, you will always be struggling for more. And that is like chasing the wind it's time for us to be content with who he is and he has spoken something over us and I know this is a song that we all know and we've sung it so many times right and it just rolls off the tongue but have we heard the words of this song if you can just receive that today as his child Maybe when I was preaching, something came to your mind because you know very well that thing that you have been comparing yourself to or comparing something else to. Maybe it was very clear to you. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, that's not me. I want you to just find yourself before the master. And I want you to close your eyes. Why? Because I don't want you to look to the left. I don't want you to look to the right. I don't want you to look at us. I want you to look to God in this moment. And I want you to just extend your hand to him one hand open if you want to do both hands open and just say God here I am here it is what I have is yours would you give would you take away if there is something in me if there is a hurt in me if there is confusion in me if there's low insecurity in me low self-esteem in me if there is hurt and pain God here it is would you take it away and sinful patterns in me that are not allowing me to see you for who you are and see myself for who you've called me to be, would you take it away? Father, and would you put in me whatever it is that you have for me? 
not based on anyone else not based on what my pastors have but would you give me what is for me the gift that's for me the calling that is for me the anointing that is for me the guidance that is for me the future and destination that you have for me I want to own it I want to own what is mine I want to be satisfied and content in that